This is our first Advent together. How special and so many surprises. Um, are, we only have one screen right now because there's a little gizmo. That's the official term, the technical term, right, Corey? A gizmo that splits the signal to the other screen is working. So if you need a little neck adjustment, uh, I'm right there with you. But uh, that's coming, right, Corey? That gizmo's on its way. Uh, but uh, as you've seen from last week, this incredible display. And then on Friday, I was talking to a friend in Maryland, and I was getting an intercept, which normally I think I'll just let go of voicemail. But it just kept buzzing. So I look, and it's, it's someone wants to FaceTime with me. It's, it's Allison Mindenhall, works with our students. And then another one on top of that was Lindsey Bunn, our student director. I'm like, what's going on? Okay. They can wait five more minutes. I almost finished. I just, just, okay, just. Then, okay, now this was, this was cruel. I get a text message from Lindsay, 911, scary face. I'll call you right back. So I hang up. I call her. I said, and she wants to FaceTime. Lindsay, what is it? She has a close-up of herself right here. What, what is it? Is there, you know, is there a, a pipe that's burst? Is the other screen not working? What happened? And then she, sh- she says, no, just messing with you, Pastor Pete. We put all these lights up. Like, oh, oh, no. <laughs> so before we get started with the morning message, I do want to mention one very important announcement. It's, it's been written. It's been printed in the bulletin, but you need to hear it verbally. On the 9th of December, next Sunday, we will be electing uh, new officers, leaders in the church, and we'll have that uh, brief congregational meeting uh, between services, but it is an official meeting uh, of the congregation. We have new covenant partners that are going to be joining uh, that day. We have nine uh, people who've agreed to join us uh, uh, officially as members, which we're excited that they're going to be covenant partners with us. Uh, If you're not a member, if you're not, we call them covenant partners. It's more than a member. You could be a member of Costco, but we want to have a strong partnership with you. I'd encourage all of you to stick around next Sunday after service as we conduct that very important business of the church. So I want to make sure you're aware of that. Okay, now let's turn our attention to the word of the Lord. As we continue this series, Jesus on every page. Jesus himself taught that he was spoken of on all the pages of Scripture. He says in John chapter 5, verse 39, you diligently study the Scripture, which at that time that would have been the 39 books of the Old Testament, the, the Tanakh, that's what the, the Jews called the Old Testament. You diligently study the Scriptures. He's speaking to a bunch of, of Scripture scholars. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me. And then verse 8, just before that, he, he says, if you want to derive, to derive life from the scriptures, if you want life, if you want to abide in my Father's love, you need to know me. Because all scripture bears witness to me, the entire Bible. So you think that that would sort of settle it. Jesus has said last week in, in a passage in Luke 24, and now this week in John chapter 5, that He's on every page of Scripture. Uh, maybe not literally, but figuratively, we're going to find point, points to Jesus and to the coming of the Messiah. And so that's really our series for this season called Advent, the season of coming, getting ready for, for Christmas. That the Bible's one great story 
has one figure at the center of it, pointing to and pointing back to Jesus. And that that story doesn't start in a manger in Bethlehem, but much, much, much earlier. How far back can we go? Oh, well, don't, don't give it away. Don't give it away. It's a rhetorical question. This is not a conversation. How far back can we go? Ooh, silence, stunned in silence. Just wait, just wait. Gosh. <laughs> okay. In Luke's gospel, he goes back at least a year before Jesus was born uh, to the incredible scene. And Pastor Mark, I think, will be preaching on the scene on, on the 23rd of December of the old prophet Zechariah. He's doing his, his business. He's a priest, but there's a prophetic edge that he doesn't even aware, he's not even aware of. And he has this incredible encounter with an angel who says to, to him, Zechariah, you and Elizabeth, in your old age, you are going to have a son, and his name will be John, and he will be a forerunner, uh, as the same way that Elijah came, he will be like one like Elijah who will come and will be a forerunner of the Messiah. This is a year before Jesus was born. Here's the reference, Malachi 5, verses, uh, excuse me, Malachi 4, 5, and 6. And so Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. We're talking approximately 400 years. So now we've, we've backed up 400 years before Jesus. But we can go further. Sweet. Here we go. This is not the earliest reference. Because then we see in Luke chapter 3, he gives a genealogy. What's a genealogy? A, a family tree. And he backs it up. He just backs it all the way up. He goes to the royal line of King David, Nathan his father, and then Nathan begot David. That's a thousand years before Jesus. And he keeps backing it up. You ever hear a big truck, they throw in a reverse, beep, 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 beep. The tribe of Judah, beep, beep, beep. To Abraham, to Shem and Noah, all the way back to Seth. And then it says, and finally, quote, the son of Adam, the son of God. So Luke is saying that the story of Jesus begins with all of humanity, with all of humankind. That Jesus is the, the son of Adam and the son of God, fully human and fully God. We can go back even further, can't we? Yes, we can. John goes back to the creation, to the very, the very beginning, before Adam, to John 1, 1 and 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, through him. All things were made. Without him, nothing was made that was made. So the story of Jesus, reading it from back to front. The story of Jesus, reading from the very first page. He's in it all. From page one, there is reference to the Son of God. Then you go to the very end of the Bible in Revelation, and John testifies that he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the creator and the goal of all of creation. Revelation 22, verses 13 and 16. So when we get to back to Genesis 1-1, now you can say, how far back? All the way back. There we go. Where it says, in the beginning, God created... We are reading the most profound theological of statements. That the triune God, 
Father, the eternal Son, the Holy Spirit, one God, three persons, were there at the beginning. In perfect harmony, eternally existing, distinct from each other, yet same in nature. And that the purpose of God from the very beginning centered on his son. Colossians 1, 15 to 16. Christians were trying to, to make sense of this. My friend Julian Smith says in that podcast, it's like reading a, a detective story. You get to the final chapter and, oh, now it makes sense. Everything comes together. All of the suspects are in the same room, and now you can put it all together. You can never read that story the same way once you get to the end. Once you get to the end of Sixth Sense, you can never watch that movie again. I won't spoil it for you like we did on the podcast. <laughs> and so in making sense of it, look what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Colossae. The Son is the image of the invisible God. Jesus said, no one has seen the Father. You've seen me, you have seen the Father. That he is the firstborn over all creation. We'll come back to that. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. And we continue and it says, and all things have been created through him and for him. Now, when we say firstborn, when, when Paul uses that language, he's not talking about the physical sense, this isn't an, an origin story. Sorry, Marvel fans. It's not an origin story that he was the firstborn of God. That's called Arianism, and that's a heresy in the church. So don't go there. But in the sense of firstborn, in the sense of, of the rights and the privileges, like the firstborn of a monarch, that, that he is the prince of heaven, that he has all of that authority to himself. That's what it means to be the firstborn. So reading the Bible back to front, the church has always, always, has always taught that creation itself, all of the cosmos, was created by the Son and for the Son. That that was God's very purpose. That even before Adam and Eve were, were sent out of Eden, God announced his purpose, that God had a plan for their salvation and for the restoration of all of creation. Mind blowing. Now, here's another one. I put it on the screen. This is a little mind blowing. The Proto-Evangelium. Say that three times fast. No, don't. But remember this one. It'll be great at a cocktail party. You can toss this one out there. Proto means uh, first uh, evangelium means the good news. This is the first pronouncement of the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So someone asks you, where do I look in the Bible to find out about the good news of Jesus? Do I go to John 3.16? How about the very first place it's in the Bible? That might start a good conversation. That might start a good conversation with uh, a Jewish friend or neighbor or family member. I have a Jewish uncle. So uncle Bob, let's Let's go back to the Tanakh. Let's go to Genesis chapter 3. This is the term that's used by theologians about the very first mention of good news, where God says, and I quote, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. We're going to unpack what that means. 
but, but I just want you to get this, take a note. This is the earliest mention of good news. And it is the answer to our greatest problem, the fall from grace, the separation from God, the separation from paradise, the fall of all of creation, the curse on mankind because of Adam's sin. And God foretells so long ago of the defeat of evil and the victory of his son in the first book of the Bible, the first promise, the first pledge, a savior who would take the curse, the curse, the curse of our fallen nature, the curse of eating that forbidden fruit. Are we saying uh, joy to the world? The great Isaac Watts uh, Carol, uh, a little, little note about hymnology, the study of hymns. That's a real thing. You could actually get a degree in that. I do not have it, but I can tell you this. Every great carol and every great hymn of the church, you got to wait for that third verse. That third verse is always the most theologically, whoa, verse in the hymn. We, you just, well, here, here it is. Here you go, Ray. No, I'm not going to sing it, but you can hum it. No more let sin and sorrow grow nor thorns infest the ground. Remember, the Lord God, when he brings down this pronouncement, he brings it down on the serpent, he brings it down on Adam and Eve, and all of creation is going to be forever frustrating to Adam, trying to grow corn and wheat. He comes to make his blessings flow, far as the curse is found. Oh, now you were with me before. <laughs> far as the curse is found. For us, the the curse, what's the curse? What curse are we talking about? Right here, Genesis 3. Isaac Watts, at Christmas time, is referring to the Proto-Evangelium. The first promise given by Yahweh, the Lord our God, after Adam sinned. Now let's look at it. Let's go back. Here we go. Let's just break down and look at these, these verses just a little bit. It says, and I will put enmity or, or hostility between you. He's referring to the serpent, this beautiful figurative language. Uh, this is actually, it's written here in prose, but in your Bible, if you notice, it's written in poetry because this is beautiful poetic language. So it's important for us to understand that. I will put enmity or hostility between you, Eve, uh, between, uh, excuse me, speaking to uh, Satan, between you and the woman, which is Eve. God said there would be hatred between the, the serpent that represents Satan and the woman. But that the real enmity, the real hostility, uh, will be between uh, Satan and Christ. Because look at the next line. And between your offspring and hers. And the Hebrew there says, and her seed, not offspring. We'll get back to that. Meaning there's a hostility, there's a, a cosmic battle beyond the realm that we can see in this physical world. There's a spiritual battle of hostility between uh, those descendants of Christ and the descendants of Satan. And so those that follow the evil one are his descendants. And we're not talking about in a physical, biological sense, but in a sense of, of who they're following, who they're trusting in. Does that sound harsh? Oh, yeah. Pastor Pete, it's Christmas time. What are you talking about? Well, just check it. Check this. Look at this, look at this scene. John chapter 8. 
Jesus is talking with, again, religious officials, with Pharisees. They've just accused him of being a Samaritan. Ooh, that's a, that's a dig. And demon-possessed. And he says, hey, you know what? I think, I think your father is the devil. That's what I think. Would that rile you up? Would that get out of your skin? You better believe it. And where was this conversation happening? In the temple. But that's not really got, uh, got them really upset. Jesus says to these Pharisees, he says, your father Abraham, like, oh, don't bring in someone's father or mother into an argument, right? Your father Abraham rejoiced at the coming of this day. Rejoice, long for the coming of me. Pharisees, okay, wait a second. You're not even 50 years old. How dare you bring up our great father Abraham? You're only, you're only a kid. Who are you referring to? And what does Jesus say? Before Abraham was, I am. I am. That reference to himself as divine. And at that moment, in the temple, in the temple, it says they began to pick up stones to try to kill him. When it says, let's go back to, to, to Genesis here. When it says um, hers, it's her, her offspring. The accurate translation is her seed. Now, not, not, not uh, any kind of uh, body science here, but women don't have seed. The man has a seed. So what is this reference to? That there will be enmity between your offspring and, and her offspring. And the actual Hebrew says between your seed and her seed. That's the literal translation. It's the first reference to the virgin birth in Genesis chapter 3. He shall crush or, or bruise your head. The devil will ultimately lose the, the battle. And yet the next phrase says, the devil will injure the Messiah and you will strike or bruise his heel. You will pierce his heel, his foot. And the serpent being low to the ground can only kind of nibble at, at heels, can't he? Which is more severe, getting, getting uh, your, your heels bruised or your head smashed? Which is worse? <laughs> and the singular here, again, the singular. His, it's a reference to Messiah. So from Genesis 3:15 onward through the entire book we call the Bible, all 66 books, all the way to Revelation, we see the promise here, the pledge here carried out and unfolded through all 39 books of the Old Testament and all through the 27 books of the New Testament, the coming of Christ, the completion of his work and the covenant he's made. There's only two covenants in the Bible. There's a covenant of works. That was the covenant in the garden. That was the deal. That was the plan. That was the pledge uh, that the Lord God said to Adam, I want you to work this garden. I want you to enjoy it enjoy fellowship with me. As long as you do what I tell you to do and live this full life, it'll all be good. And how long did that last? Like a New York minute. And then the second covenant started. The covenant of grace. And yes, we will talk about Noah. We'll talk about Abraham. We'll talk about David. We'll talk about all those things. But I want you to get the big picture here. This covenant that God makes. Even in casting them out of Eden, he provides for them, he clothes them, he cares for them, and he begins this second plan. And then we continue to read Genesis, which we're going to study in the new year. 
We see uh, peoples come up and descendants and civilizations formed. And then we see they try to build what a tower of. And then the nations are divided. And the story is just building and building. You get to chapter 12 and it goes down to just one little family. Just one little family. Abram and Sarah. God says, go out of your tent, Abram. Look at the stars. Try to count them, how vast they are. He looks up at, he's like, just lost in wonder at the cosmos, the stars. And we know so much more about stars, don't we now? We just landed a, a lunar thing, what is that, 45 million miles away? It's just barely you know, like a speck of distance by comparison. He says, Abram, through you, through you, I will build a nation. And your descendants will n- number more than the stars in the heavens. And then we see Israel formed, the promise of the Messiah. And then we see the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus and the founding of his church. That the ultimate victory was his. It was known that he would crush Satan, who's still licking his wounds in defeat. Still dangerous, but ultimately destroyed. That the power of Christ will destroy Satan finally and all of his principalities and powers and confound all of his schemes and ruin all of his plans because what Jesus did on the cross fulfills what God promised in the Old Testament. Friends, I want you to get this because what the church, many churches do, I'm not throwing shade, but many churches in evangelical American Christianity do with the Old Testament is we look at for moral stories. What's the moral of the story? We look at for characters. How can I be a leader like Joseph? How can I be uh, patient like Deborah or what have you? And, and even if there is good character there, we might as well write stories about all of you because they're all sinners. They're all, they're all sinners, just like you and I are. But no, the great big story of the Bible is about Jesus and about God's plan for us, the wonder of God's plan for us. 1 John 3, 8 The reason, it says, the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. What a wonder. What a wonder that we celebrate at this time of year. Verse 4 of Joy of the World. He rules the world with grace and truth and makes the nations prove the glories of his righteousness and the wonders of what? His love, wonders of his love, that it's, it's relevant even today when our dear brother and sister Rob and Jessica Wood, our new worship director, they're in Houston, have given birth to, to Phoenix Noel Wood, PNW, that was not by mistake, they're coming, they're coming folks. <laughs> Emergency C-section sisters, have you experienced, some of you have experienced that? And here she is, five pounds, eight ounces, and she's struggling. We are the church. We believe in prayer. We know God has a plan. Amen? The wonders of his love. It's practical right now throughout this book. So, friends, I'd say to us here, trust in the one who keeps his promises, who was born in Bethlehem, who lived 
and who died on a cross to pay for our sin, who was laid in a tomb but was risen on the third day. We celebrate all of it at Christmas time in every season of life. If you don't understand this, then, then the rest of the story, the, the beautiful lights and the celebration of, of Christmas, you're going to lose. It's going to dim a bit. You'll just miss its fullest meaning. What do we say, or we used to say, right, when there's all the culture wars back and forth at Christmas time, that Jesus is the reason for the season, right? Who's the reason for the season? Jesus? That's a great question, but, but there's a bigger question in this crazy mixed up world than what is the reason for the season. The bigger question is, what is the reason for the reason? And the reason for Jesus coming into the world was the mercy of God in his response to our greatest problem we face. The Bible says uh, all creation is groaning, groaning for this to be made right, for restoration to come. And we as the church say, Lord Jesus, come, come. Come and reign over your church. Bring your kingdom. Bring it now. Work through us as your people because we see you at work, God. We know the time is drawing near. How far back did we go? We went back pretty far, right? We'll talk about numbers some other time. We can go back even further. We can go back further still because you think about like a, a book What's the very beginning of a book? Oftentimes you have the preface. The preface is sort of like a little, a little intro to the story. You kind of get the, the big picture, the big aim, the big point of the story you're about to read, the page before chapter one, right? Listen to the preface to the Bible. Here it is in Ephesians chapter one, three to six. The scope of the story in the context of a prayer. We'll just close with this in prayer. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Let's pray. Lord, before the foundation of the world, so insignificant, Lord, just as these little people, these little beings, from your perspective, we're, we're tinier than ants. We're so simple. We're here, and yet... Our problems in our lives are so big that you would show such mercy and love and grace to have such wisdom, such planning, oh God, that at just the right time, Galatians 4, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us and died for the world. Oh, that we would share this message of good news, of great joy in a fresh and powerful way, Lord, empowered by your spirit with our friends and neighbors. Oh, that we would really believe in the power of prayer, that you really do have a plan, that you actually say, pray, my people, 
and I will listen and answer. Oh, if we would just turn to you, oh God. In the midst of our need and struggle and confusion, lost in our thoughts, taking our own counsel, even now before we come to this table to confess before you to say, God, forgive me for what I've done, for what I've left undone, for what I've said, for what I've thought, for how I've treated that person in my life, for the poor witness that I have been. Oh God, forgive me those ways that I'm so selfish and prideful that I want to serve my own interests. Give me, Lord, a, a new vision. Help me, Lord Jesus. And he's here to embrace you, to feed you, to say, I, I love you. I'm not going to let go of you. I have plans for you. And for that dear loved one that you're, you're lifting up in prayer right now, he has plans for that dear loved one as well, even now. Let's prepare our hearts to come to the table.